Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Tonight, I get the opportunity to to open the Word with you guys. And uh, so I'm very privileged to be able to, to come and to share with you guys, you know, this, of course, being, uh, as Pastor Aaron mentioned, a, a day that uh, is focused a lot on love and the concept of love and that kind of a thing. We're going to look tonight at a word from Genesis chapter 28. Um, if you guys want to open up in your Bibles there, we'll be in, in uh, chapters 28 and 29 as we consider love um, from the perspective of God himself, but really through the story of a person in the Bible whose name is Leah. And I think there's much to be gained from her life. And so as you guys are making your way to Genesis 28, um, and just as we think about love, we might think of that word and, and a number of different things might come to our minds. I know for many of us, we have gained our understanding of what we think love is by what we have learned for many of us in the world. And some of those influences, of course, would include movies and uh, TVs, uh, or movies and TV and books and, and magazines and things like that. And of course, a lot of those resources are not real good ones. Um, and then, of course, then we have the examples of people that we might know personally in our understanding of love as we have observed their love um, in their lives and some of those influences as well are good and some of those are not so good. But when we love the way that God loves, we operate in the gifting of the Holy Spirit because we're reminded that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And according to God, love in of itself is actually more of a giving thing than it is a receiving thing. John 3.16, of course, tells us that God so loved the world that he what? gave, that he gave. And many have entered into relationships, you know, as we've had uh, opportunities to enter into relationships with other people. And we, some of us maybe have entered and stepped into some of these relationships believing that we were in love because of an emotional feeling. The problem is, is that although our feelings are real, oftentimes they're not true. And when a person that we are in a relationship with that we believe that we love, the moment that that person disappoints us, the results oftentimes are very devastating in that relationship, maybe even to the point of destructive in that relationship. And so it's good to remember that love is not an emotion, but it's a choice. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? What was his response? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the truth about that is you don't have to love God. You get the choice to, and you get to love God. And then he said in the same way, love your neighbor as yourself. And that truth is for, for others as well, that we don't have to love them, but we get to. So for tonight, there's a lesson, I believe, to be learned from the Bible that I want to share with all of you. 
And it's about what love truly is from God's perspective. In the life of the woman named Leah, as we look into her life a little bit more, but before we even get to Leah, we have to set the stage by way of her husband, her husband being a man named Jacob. And when we wonder, who is Jacob? Jacob himself was God's chosen man in which to fulfill the promise that he made, first to his grandfather Abraham, and then to his father Isaac, that through him, God would multiply his descendants and establish a nation. And that nation is the people that we know today as the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. But we might ask, what was this great qualification uh, of this man, Jacob, that he would be this uh, man of God's promise? And if we go all the way back to the time of his birth, the Bible tells us this. It's in Genesis 25. I'll just read these verses for you. It says, When his mother, Rebekah's days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. And afterward his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And the name Jacob means heel catcher. And in his case, he was, a, he was named this because of the manip manipulative ways that could be seen even from his birth. In his lifetime, he would eventually supplant the birthright that would have been Esau's, the older brother. We, we learned that in Genesis 25. And then through manip manipulation, he would then later steal the blessing that would have again fallen to his older brother Esau. We read about that in Genesis 27. Jacob was a conniver and a deceiver for much of his life. And the example of his life serves the great purpose for us of showing the tremendous grace of God. Because the truth is, is there wasn't necessarily any great qualification in Jacob, but yet God chose to love him. God's blessings were upon his life. Jacob's life exemplifies, exemplifies what it means to be a recipient of God's grace. But that is the same truth for you and for me. Because we have to ask ourselves, have we ever been deceptive? Have we ever manipulated someone to get what we wanted? You know, perhaps like a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or, or even your spouse or your older brother, as Jacob did, or maybe even your boss. Yet in God's love, he chooses to pour out his grace upon you. Grace in of itself is not something that we get because we deserve it. God chooses to pour out his grace. Grace is God's favor upon you. It is undeserved and it is unearned, but it is freely given through your love relationship with Jesus. So now having said all of this about grace, the thing we need to keep in mind is it is not a free reign to just go ahead and have a life of sin so that grace may abound even more. The Bible addresses that. And we know that God's transforming work takes place in our hearts and in our minds and changes us to be more like him so that we don't even have that desire to continue to sin. We will continue to sin, but 
we are also met with conviction in the, through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so for Jacob, the man that we're talking about at the moment, God would eventually change his name to Israel. And of course, the nation that was established through his lineage continues to bear that same name. The name Israel means governed by God. His desire, God's desire has always been to reign over them. But Israel also means contends with God. And there's a good illustration of both what it looks like to be governed by God, but then also to continue to contend with God in Genesis 32, where we read about Jacob's wrestling with God. So even as we think about the nation of Israel as a whole today, God's hand does remain upon them. He reestablished them as a nation in 1948, as the Bible predicted that he would. But generally, they still contend with him, and especially as it relates to their non-acceptance of Jesus as the promised Messiah. The people of Israel have broken God's heart time after time. And many years after the time of Jacob, they would eventually demand a king. And the reason they wanted to do this was to look like everybody else in the world who had kings that reigned over them. But God's desire is that his people would be set apart from the world. He didn't want Israel to look like the world. And in the same way, he doesn't want you to look like the rest of the world as well. And though all of these examples that I've given are about Israel, and they're true, they also are true both in your life and in mine as well. Because here's the truth. God loves you. God wants to be the Lord of your life. And our heart's desire should be to not be people to contend with him, but rather to love him. But as we get back to the Israel of our account, the man Jacob, and how he leads us to this lesson of what love is through the life of his wife Leah. As the fulfillment of the promise of God to provide descendants through Jacob, his father Isaac sends him away with a specific charge to find a wife. So now, if you guys are in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 28, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. It says there, Then Isaac called Jacob, and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take for yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. So there was a specific lineage in which to be preserved. So the selection of Jacob's wife had to come from a specific group of people. Now, in his case, it was his own family line, a daughter of his uncle Laban. And it was very specific, of course, to this situation. This is not necessarily saying that it's okay to go and marry your cousin, uh, just so you know. But God revealed to Jacob his promise through a dream. As you continue on in Genesis 28, look at verses 14 and 15. In this dream, it says, Your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east, to the north and the south. And in you and in your seed, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. 
And so Jacob goes to the land, as he was instructed to do, in order to find a wife. In the land, of course, was his uncle Laban, who had two daughters. The name of the oldest was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. And if you look at verse 17 there in Genesis 29, it says that Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. So the New King James tells us that her eyes were delicate. Another translation describes Leah as tender-eyed. And what this does not mean is that Leah had poor eyesight. The New Living Translation kind of gives us a clear understanding of what this situation was. It says in the, in the New Living that there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes, but Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And so what we're, what we're gaining from this is that Leah lacked the physical attributes that would have drawn attention to her, and especially as it related to her younger sister, Rachel. So as a result, when Jacob first sees Rachel, he went into what I might call Romeo mode, and he instantly made quite the impression upon her. If you look at Genesis 29 and back up to verses 10 and 11, this is their first interaction together. It says, when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. What a guy, right? The physical part of Jacob led him in this direction to pursue Rachel because it says there, because he loved her. If you look at verse 18, we have a little bit deeper understanding of what this love was. Because it says in that verse, now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you, Laban, seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. So what that word really means is that Jacob had a sexual affection for Rachel. He was physically drawn to her. And so we know this because it was based upon her physical qualities. If you look at what Jacob says to Laban, who would become his father-in-law, in verses 20 and 21, there in chapter 29, it says that Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. There's that word again, love. But then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled that I might go into her. You can imagine that conversation. I just couldn't imagine having that conversation uh, between a son and a father-in-law. Um, but what he, was, what he was looking forward to was having that physical relationship with Rachel. But the thing to be gained here is understanding that this is what physical, worldly love looks like. Physical and worldly love is ultimately very selfish, it's very self-seeking, and it is not giving as the way that God defines love. The intent is only upon the receiving. What am I going to get out of this relationship? And any relationship built upon that foundation is very weak. As I mentioned earlier, when two people come together and they love each other based upon their, primarily their physical attraction of one another, it is based upon feelings. 
And if, if there is no change in this relationship, no maturity or no growth in true love, things will not go well in this relationship. I would say that God, you know, as Jesus taught about foundations, one being strong and solid upon the rock and another being on shifting sand. And this is most definitely a relationship that would be built upon shifting sand. And so since Jacob himself, and this is interesting to think about, Jacob himself being a manipulator and a deceiver, you can guess that his uncle Laban also (laughs) was the same way. The manipulation and deception were present upon this side of the family as well. And Uncle Laban, as it turned out, had a a few tricks up his sleeve. He deceptively arranged that after the seven-year commitment that Jacob had made to marry Rachel, that it was actually Leah, the older daughter, that Jacob would marry. Take a look at verse number 23 there in chapter 29. It says, Now it came to pass in the evening that Laban took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And now skip to 25. It says, So it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It must not be done, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service which you will serve with me still another seven years. Crazy when you think about this. Um, because you might think you came from a real crazy family, but you, you look at these guys and it's like, this was really crazy that these guys are going through this. Laban married off his older daughter, Leah, to Jacob. And I've often wondered, how did Leah feel about this? Because she, you know, she apparently submitted to her father's plan, um, but we're not told a whole lot about what her thoughts were as, as this happened to her life. And so Laban, what he does here is he places another condition upon Jacob that if he really did truly love Rachel, that he would be willing to provide still another seven years of service in order to marry her too. And so if you look at verse 28, it says, Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her week, and so Laban gave him his daughter Rachel as wife also. In verse 30, it says, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served with Laban still another seven years. And so Jacob did fulfill the seven years that he promised that he would. When he finally got Rachel, you see that he, it says, loved her more than he loved Leah. Although, when you think about it, he had already been with Leah for seven years by this point. So you can imagine that those seven years together with Leah were not very good years in their marriage. Leah was unloved by her husband, Jacob. And seven years now into their marriage, her sister, Rachel, enters the family. And what happens is that Rachel receives the love that Leah thought that she needed. The result, of course, for Leah is despair. Because though she was unloved by her husband, the truth is is that she was seen by the Lord and loved by him. And this really is the culmination of this entire message called loved. And some of you may identify with this as well. You may not have gone through the exact same situation as Leah, obviously, but 
you have also been mistreated. You have also been betrayed. And you have been unloved in the way that God would desire for you to be loved. The result of that oftentimes is a real identity issue, though you may not even realize that you have that going on. Because you begin to believe that you are unlovable by people and even by God. And a proper understanding of our identity of who we are in Jesus is essential as we walk through that. Because here's the truth. God sees you. God knows your situation. And God loves you. Despite any mistakes that you may have made along the way, and despite what you may have wrongfully believed up to this point. In Romans 5.8, a verse that we prayed through, it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice that. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love for us does not look like the world's love, the love that Jacob represented. God chose to love you when you were at your worst. And so think about this. If that is true, do you think that God's love for you changes over time? Do you think that God's love for you is now only when you are at your best? And that's a trap that many Christians fall into. As we continue to mature in our love for the Lord, in our relationship with him, we misunderstand that God has already done everything required in order for us to have that love relationship with him. We think we have to be at our best, but the truth is that God already loves you. He loves you completely through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3, a well-known verse, says that God loves you with an everlasting love. This is God's love. And it's the love that he desires for us that we would love others as well in the same way. Giving as we respond in our love for him, in our heart, our soul, and our mind. And loving our neighbor as ourselves, as he has already demonstrated in our lives. God saw Leah. God knew her situation and he loved her, and he cared for her. So now look, still in chapter 29, looking at verse 31. In that verse it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved by her husband, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. The relationship between Jacob and Leah, as we know, was not good. Remember, he he did not even have the desire to be married to her in the first place. But she was his wife, having been tricked into marriage. And this alone was a constant reminder for Jacob that every time he saw his wife Leah, it brought him back to the reality that he had been deceived. So Jacob despised her because of that. In that use of the word unloved, it means that Jacob disliked her. He mistreated her in how a wife should be treated, and he, it was even to the point that he loathed her, loathed. But God sees us in every situation, and as God sees, he also plans what he is going to do in order to accomplish his perfect will for the situation. He gave the ability for Leah to bear children, which in that culture was considered honorable. Whereas Rachel was barren, 
and so culturally dishonorable. And so you may have noticed I emphasize the cultural emphasis of this, that the fact that this is strictly a cultural perspective. It does not reflect the value of a person, nor does it mean God's love for anyone uh, who has struggled with bearing children is lacking in any way. And if this is a particular challenge for you personally, know that God does see you, he does know that you are hurting, and he loves you deeply. So in our lesson, this is where I think it becomes very interesting. As we see it now progress to a place where Leah bears children and gives them very specific names. Because I believe in the naming of her children, it speaks to any of us and meets us right where we are if we have ever been at that same place where we believe that we are unloved. Leah, of course, was not treated in a loving way by her husband, and so unloved became her identity. It consumed her. She was desperate to feel loved, and she was desperate to be loved. So now in the giftedness of being able to bear children, Leah and Jacob, um, it tells us in verse 32, uh, it says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she said... The Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And so here's the thing. The name Reuben literally means behold a son. Ru means behold. Ben means son. So the name choice signifies that Leah was trying to prove her worth and was therefore worthy to receive love. In a sense, what she was saying is, see, I'm able to bear children. And it even seems that it was a way of then downplaying her sister Rachel's worth, saying, see, she cannot bear children. It was a wrong and selfishly rooted heart that Leah had. But feeling unloved can wrongly influence the way that we think and the way that we behave. It was her effort in the same way that we, in our own effort, try to prove our worthiness when we feel unloved. We tend to do this same thing with people and even with God. We try to prove our worthiness to be loved, and God, here are the reasons why. Or that other person, here are the reasons why. It's based upon our own effort, and the result of this usually leads us to greater hurt and pain. Why, though? Well, Leah was trying to be in control of her husband's love for her. She tried to manipulate his thinking. And when it comes to other people, the truth is, is that we cannot control their response. We cannot control their behavior, but we can control our own. And so number one here, we see, uh, we sense, when we sense that we are unloved, we attempt to prove that we are worthy to be loved. And oftentimes we will say or do things that are very wrong and very hurtful. So now as we continue in verse 33, the birth of their second son, it says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So Simeon means the Lord has heard my cries. In her despair, she truly believed 
that she was unloved. She identified with being unloved. And when her attempt to prove her worthiness to be loved did not turn out as she hoped, unloved then became her identity. She cried out to the Lord based on what she believed to be true, that she wasn't loved. But it wasn't true at all. And perhaps you also have been there crying out to God in despair over something so heavy on your heart, which is not even reality at all. And when this, when this happens, we begin to ask God to then bless our will rather than submitting to his. We tell ourselves, he's hearing my cries. And in that misunderstanding, we believe that he may be blessing our efforts. This is what was happening to Leah. She was crying out to God, bearing children, and believing that God was hearing her cries in a way that wasn't quite representative of what God was doing in her life. So now as we continue on in verse 34, this is their next son, their third son. It says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Levi means attached. And this is the furthest point of self-deception that Leah gets to. Because she believes that because she has now borne three sons to her husband, that that means now he is attached to her. He's obligated to her and not to her sister Rachel. And this is the danger of our identity becoming wrapped in something that is not true. Something that is our own idea and not according to the true word of God. There is a manipulation of the truth in order to justify getting what we want. And Leah wanted love from her husband. She tried to prove her worthiness to receive love. And when that wasn't enough, she then wrongly believed her identity was unloved. And she continued in despair, getting to a place where then she believed that her husband's identity was attached to her. And we can go further and further down this road, ultimately distancing ourselves from the truth and from God himself. Because God does love us, he does bring correction in our lives. And even in this example of Leah, something happened in her to where she then stopped trying to prove her worthiness, identifying herself as unloved, and believing in lies. Because what we see in this next verse, in verse 35, is a real heart change with the birth of her fourth son. And so in verse 35, it says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. So in the naming of her fourth son, we see that Leah rested from her efforts to gain love from her husband. She didn't necessarily give up. She didn't quit. She didn't throw in the towel. But rather, she rested. And the result is that she praised the Lord. She realized that God loved her. She stopped looking for sufficiency in man, and she found her sufficiency, sufficiency in God's love for her. Her simple response then was to just praise him. And notice, at the end of that verse, it says that she then stopped bearing children. The bearing of children was not 
for her, her identity of being loved. She already was loved. And this is the truth that we all need to learn, to apply, to identify with, and to live by. And that goes for any of us, whether we're single or whether we are married. Because God's love for us is an everlasting love. And so now tonight, as we get ready to close, there's one last bit of encouragement that I believe is to be gained from this entire whole lesson. Because as we think about Leah's life and the difficulties that she was going through, the truth is is that God walked with her in those difficulties. And what we can gain from that is that God is with us in our difficulties as well. The cool thing to think about, though, is that God is at work in ways that we most likely do not see in the midst of those difficulties as we walk through them. We're not told exactly when Leah died, but the Bible does tell us, and this is very significant, of where she was buried. So if you look at Genesis 49, this is the very end of Jacob's life where what he is doing here is charging his sons with specific instruction of where he wanted to be buried himself. So in Genesis chapter 49, we'll pick up at verse number 29. And it says this. It says, Then Jacob charged his sons and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought. The field of Ephron Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. Notice this. It says, there they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and there they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, And there I buried Leah. This is very significant because in the end, Jacob chose to be buried with his wife, Leah, not Rachel. Rachel, we are told, was buried in Bethlehem. So in time, the truth we can gain from this is that Jacob came to realize that Leah was truly the love of his life. When this occurred, we don't know exactly But we do know that God was at work in all of these things. Because as he often works behind the scenes and in ways that are beyond our understanding in the moment as we walk through those difficulties, we remember that through Leah came that fourth son, Judah. When she stopped striving to earn her husband's love, she simply praised God. And through Judah would come one who is known as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name, Jesus. See, God knows what he is doing. He is accomplishing a far greater plan in and through our lives than we even realize. Because if Leah would have continued to focus on her despair, she would have totally missed what God was doing through her. And that should serve as a lesson for all of us because it's easy for us to focus on our problems and our circumstances and to stay stuck in that. But in spiritual maturity and growth, 
when our response comes to that place where we simply praise God, as Leah did with Judah, we will then trust God with our lives entirely. We will allow him to accomplish the will that he has in and through our lives. We will stop striving to earn love because we already know we are loved. We will stop walking in an identity that is not true and rather walk in an identity of who we are in Jesus. We will stop, stop trying to be attached to a person as the basis of love, realizing that you are the bride of Christ. In all of these things, we can simply stop and acknowledge God's love. We can receive his love, and we can simply praise him for what he is doing. So let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, how often we can read through, through our Bibles, Lord. We come across this story of Leah, and we come across this story of Jacob. And we read about all the deception, the manipulation, and even in the naming of the, of the children, and not even realize that there's a real significance and something very telling in what is taking place. Lord, perhaps some of us have been in that place too, where we have realized, Lord, we're trying to prove that we're worthy of love. And our focus becomes so much on obtaining that love from another person. Lord, it is true that you do give us husbands, wives. Lord, that in that we can truly enjoy our marriages. Lord, as we, get, as we live them through you. But Lord, that person is not the basis of love. Lord, at best, that person is a reflection of the love of Jesus Christ. Our true love comes from you. And I thank you for that truth. Lord, there's not a single person that's sitting here tonight, uh, whether here in the sanctuary, whether downstairs, whether listening on the radio, um, that is not loved by you. Your word tells us that you so loved this world that you gave your only son, that whosoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You did that, Lord, because you love us. And I thank you for your demonstration of love. The truth, Lord, being that even when we are at our worst, you sent Jesus to die for us. And so, Lord, I pray for each person here, me included, that, Lord, we will walk in the identity of who you say that we are. Lord, not in the clever deception, Lord, that comes through the enemy who would try to make us believe that we are something less. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace over our lives. Lord, we thank you for your truth that we can stand upon, a solid foundation that is not easily disrupted, Lord, when the storms of this life come. 
And so, Father, work in and through our lives to make us more and more like you. Lord, as we understand that you love us completely through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, I pray for anyone here tonight who has struggled with that identity of being unloved, that they will realize just how truly and deeply you do love them. And so, Lord, I, I, um, I simply praise you for who you are, for all that you've done in our lives and all you continue to do. And I just want to, as we close tonight, and Pastor Aaron's going, going to lead us in one last worship song, I do want to pray for anybody that may be in that place here tonight that you've come in. Um, again, this is a day where a lot of times we think about love, we associate it with love. Um, but I just want to, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands necessarily, but if you've been in that place, um, I just pray for you. And, and I sincerely mean that because this problem with our identity is, is very significant in this world today. And so, let me just pray for you now because perhaps, perhaps you do believe that that is you. And so, Lord, I do lift up anyone that is battling with that. Father, I pray that, you know, through our time in your word, through our time in prayer, uh, through our time in fellowship with, with others, or that those would all be used in order to grow us and to make us more like you, that we will truly understand who we are in Jesus Christ. And so for anyone here that finds himself in that place, I pray for them. In Jesus' name, amen. And also now for anybody, too, that, you know, perhaps you came in here tonight and you hear about this love of God, but you've never received that for yourself. You've never understood that for yourself. If there's anyone that is here tonight that you recognize God is tugging at your heart and wanting to bring you to that place of leading you to accept him for the very first time in your life, you recognize you've never done this before, and you want to ask him to be the Savior and the Lord of your life here tonight, I want to give opportunity to you as well. And so for you, I will ask, um, if that is you, would you stand right where you are, Amen. And allow us to pray for you. Is there anyone else? Hmm. If there's anyone else too, I want to pray for you. I definitely want to pray for you as well. I may not see you because the lights are super bright up here. Um, but Father, we thank you for, Lord, we never get tired of seeing your work take place in the lives of others who come to accept you for the very first time. And so I pray, Lord, for anyone that has responded, and especially as we see with our own eyes, Lord, your work that continues to take place, we rejoice in that. And so I do pray for any who have responded, um, Lord, that they have come to that place where they have acknowledged they are a sinful person. But Lord, in accepting you, that sin is dealt with at the cross. 
So I thank you, Lord, for the truth that you came to live for us, that we could know you in a very personal way. Lord, you came to die for us, to give us forgiveness of sin. And Lord, you rose again that we could walk in hope and victory with each day, Lord, as it comes and goes. And so, Lord, we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, that you continue to do mighty work here in our midst. So, Lord, all of these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.